2: This podcast contains disturbing content. Please take care while listening. Twin Oaks Mobile Home Park is a modest, quiet development. Rows of mobile homes sit next to open fields and expansive skies. It's not the kind of place where bodies are found, discarded in shallow graves. Except in 2010, it was exactly that kind of place. Arthur Sheldon and Goldie Robinson were both found deceased outside of Kim Smith's trailer. The initial police investigation had one goal, find Goldie Robinson. Well, Goldie had been found, and so had Arthur. And now there was a new goal. Here's Detective McCracken.
1: We want to know how they died. We want to know what happened. Um, And we'd love to prosecute somebody for that.
2: It might be tempting to think of this as an open and shut case. Two people, both under Kim Smith's care, were found dead in her yard. And there was ample evidence that she'd been taking advantage of them both financially. That's pretty damning. It's not a huge leap to think that she had something to do with their deaths. But thinking that and building a case that stands up in court, those are two different things. There was also the not-so-minor fact that Kim Smith likely did not act alone.
1: If we only had one suspect or one person that we knew could have possibly done it, then it may make it a little less of a hurdle. But we have several people involved. We don't know to the extent of how involved they were. It's not just a matter of proving how they were killed. It's a matter of proving which one of those people did it. We have her, her boyfriend, her son, her daughter-in-law. Were they involved from the beginning? Did some of them get involved after the fact? Were they accessories? Did they commit a murder? Did they not commit a murder? You know, that's all big in the court of law.
2: On September 2nd, 2011, detectives brought Adam Smith to the South Daytona Police Department. They had a subpoena to gather handwriting samples from him. Adam admitted to having used both Goldie's and Arthur's credit cards. But he said that it was his mother, Kim, who told him to use the cards.
3: I wanna believe you, but I you gotta look at it from our point of view. Yes. I, we have a job to do. Yes. We've got two dead people. Yes. Okay? They were in the care and custody um, of your
4: mother. I'm but upset but about but, that. but
3: you, Crystal and David, also gained from this yes. by using their credit cards and living in their facilities and things like that. What you're telling me is you were duped by your mother. And I didn't,
4: I didn't know that these things were being taken from them, especially using the gas cars and those type of things because Goldie had been with me and I'd used them before. And the same way mom acted then, right in front of Goldie handing these things, it being okay was the same way she acted every time I used it. So I never thought anything was off about it.
2: While the fraud case had a robust paper trail, the homicide case did not. The biggest hurdle for detectives in determining if there was foul play in the deaths of Goldie and Arthur was that there was no physical evidence that showed how they died. Their autopsies were inconclusive. How can you say for sure that someone was murdered when you don't actually know how they
3: died? Did these people die of natural causes in her care and custody? Or were they murdered? I don't have the answer to that. But I do know this. They were found on her property. They didn't get there by a magic wand. And your mom didn't do that by herself. Kim Smith was the
2: primary person of interest in the homicide case. But she wasn't the only one. Detectives had ruled out that Kim would have been able to pull this off on her own. She is tall, 5'8". But she weighed significantly less than both Arthur and Goldie. And detectives just didn't believe that she could have moved their bodies on her own. But who could have helped her? Whether knowingly or not, Adam, Crystal, and David had all participated in the financial fraud with Kim. But how much deeper were each of them involved? What did they actually know? From Cast Media, this is The Opportunist. This is Season 8, Episode 4, Kimberly Smith, The Motel Room. I'm Hannah Smith.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
2: By the fall of 2011, the evidence of financial fraud was stacking up quickly against Kimberly Smith. The detectives had recovered ATM photos of Kim Smith withdrawing money from both Arthur and Goldie's bank accounts as recently as August of 2010, which, to be clear, is after both of them had died. There are at least a dozen of these photos in the police report. Kim Smith with her dyed blonde hair, bangs, and glasses, leaning out of her car at a bank drive through ATM. But it wasn't just Kim. Her son, Adam, daughter-in-law, Crystal, and boyfriend, David Enos, had also benefited financially from both Goldie Robinson and Arthur Sheldon. There were receipts showing that all of them at different times had used Goldie's or Arthur's money among the purchases were two vehicles, multiple electronics, including a television, a mattress, gas, groceries, and so much more. Here's reporter Nicole Luca.
5: Other people were definitely benefiting from the deaths of both Goldie and Arthur besides Kimberly Smith. Right before Arthur Sheldon went missing, I guess she like was able to get $90,000 in a CD that she had cashed out right before he went missing. And then um, they were able to see that this guy was missing, but his account was very active and there was money coming out of it constantly. And when they went back to see who's pulling money out of his account, you know, at the bank, cameras all showed one person in each shot and it was Kimberly Smith on on those cameras. And so it went right back to her every time. The trailer
2: that Kim and David had been living in at Twin Oaks was purchased with Arthur Sheldon's money. In December of 2008, Arthur Sheldon cashed a $90,000 certificate of deposit and gave Kim and David a check for over $43,000, which they used toward the purchase of a double wide mobile home. Detectives interviewed Kim Smith in November of 2010 and asked her about Arthur's finances. The recording is a little echoey.
6: Were you ever put on any other accounts with Arthur? I'm sure he could, everything. Everything he had, Everything. Why were you put on these accounts? I loved Arthur. Okay. And Arthur and I we're gonna get married. I wanted to
2: get Kim's story was that she and Arthur were in love. Yes, she used his money, but she said he wanted her to have it. She said they had plans to get married before he died. But she wouldn't answer any questions about his death or what happened to his body afterwards.
6: I'm sitting here. We've been, we've been talking for a while. If you look at these people's finances, Gold's finances, as well as Arthur's finances, before they met you, before you came into their lives. They had normal expenditures, normal finances. They lived within their means. They didn't to spend themselves, okay? The minute they leave you and David and Adam and Crystal, okay, it's like something turns on a white switch and their finances start disappearing.
0: The
2: detective points out that by looking at bank records, Arthur Sheldon had always received his monthly Social Security by direct deposit until May of 2009, when it was switched to Direct Express, which is a prepaid debit card. And Kim Smith had been using that card. And since then, as soon as the monthly amount of $1,400 was deposited, the entire amount would be quickly withdrawn via ATM by Kim Smith. But Kim insisted, again, Arthur wanted her to have that money. It was the same with Goldie Robinson. Detectives could see that Goldie had a modest, responsible financial record. She saved much more than she spent. That is, until she met Kim. But at this point, the detectives had spent hours with Kim, and they were no closer to understanding what happened to Goldie or Arthur.
6: We've listened to your phone calls with David. We've listened to your phone calls with Adam. And you sit here, you sit here and you say... I really don't know what happened to Goldie, okay? Yet, in the phone call, David says, okay, the park managers were coming down today asking questions. The landlord, where's Goldie? And you said, all you need to tell them is that Goldie is away and she won't be back until November. We don't have her cell phone number. We can't get a hold of her. She calls us. And you say the same thing to Adam. I know the telephone. So when you sit here but when you sit here and you say, I really don't know what happened to Goldie, that's a lie. Because you do know because even from here in the Orange County jail, you're telling everybody what to do and how to act and how to respond to questions that are pushed (laughs) up. How did two dead people that were being exploited show up? One in a garbage pail, one in a shallow grave, not 20 feet from your front door. Okay. How did that happen? Let me explain this to you. I never exploited Arthur Sheldon. Arthur Sheldon gave me freely anything that I wanted.
2: Anytime Kim is asked how or when Goldie or Arthur died, she doesn't answer. Sometimes she changes the topic. Other times she's just quiet or starts crying. Sometimes she launches into a story that, in the end, has nothing to do with the question. And sometimes she flat out says she shouldn't answer without a lawyer present. And to that, the detectives tell her that she is free to bring in a lawyer or to leave the interview at any time. But she doesn't. Because the biggest question that needed answering, the question that would inform everything else, was, how did Arthur and Goldie die Let's start with Arthur Sheldon. Surprisingly, both Adam Smith, his wife Crystal, and David Enos all said the same thing when interviewed. They knew that Arthur was dead. They'd known that for a long time. They said he died in a motel room in 2009. Here's detectives speaking with Crystal. It's
6: the time that he died in yeah. a hotel in our City, right? Yeah. Um, so we were in, we were in there. It was still alive when we
2: in Crystal said that she saw Arthur in a hotel room in Orange City, which is about twenty-five miles from South Daytona, in January of two thousand nine. And she said she did not see him die, but Kim told her he died. And here's the detective's interview with Adam.
4: Like one of the last couple of times I've seen him, last two or three days I've seen him was at a motel in, in Orange City.
2: Adam said that it all started in early 2008, when his mother met Arthur Sheldon. He said his mom told him she had two jobs at the time.
4: 7, eight o'clock in the morning, she put on scrubs and supposedly was going to Red Cross to work, that he got her the job at, and then her other job was going to take care of him, running into do his errands and taking care of him, from what I understood. Just as Kim was not a
2: nurse, she also never worked at the Red Cross. But Adam said he didn't know that at the time. He just saw her get up every day, put on scrubs, and leave the house. And it is true that she was spending a lot of time with Arthur Sheldon. Kim met Arthur through a mutual friend and quickly became his self-appointed caretaker. Arthur was only 65 years old in 2008, but he had a lot of health problems. He was diabetic, and he had a club foot, which made it hard for him to get around, he used a wheelchair, and he had just been diagnosed with prostate cancer. I should clarify, unlike the lie that Kim told about Goldie Robinson having dementia, these health conditions of Arthur's, they were real. I know this because detectives subpoenaed his medical records. He was sick, and by January of 2009, his condition was worsening. Leading up to this incident in the motel room, Adam said his mother was spending every day with Arthur. Sometimes she didn't get home until, like, 1 a.m. And there seems to be a bit of a blurred line with Kim and Arthur's relationship. Kim told detectives that their relationship was never sexual, but they were in love. At the same time, she was still in a relationship with David Enos.
3: What, what did he think of the relationship between Arthur and uh, He ain't care. I don't think he gets free shit.
2: According to Adam, David didn't mind that Kim was spending all of this time with Arthur because Kim was bringing in money, and David didn't have a job at the time.
4: So whatever money he was getting, their rent, water, food, cigarettes, all their bills, mom was paying.
2: Kim drove Arthur around in a big blue van that had a wheelchair lift. It was Arthur's van. But Adam said, as time went on, Kim started to treat the vehicle like it was hers, using it all the time, even when Arthur wasn't with her.
4: I just remember that all all of a sudden one day it was, oh, the van's mine now. Arthur's giving me the van. Because he had a Jeep and a car, and like three or four vehicles at one time. Who's saying that? My mother.
2: Then in January of 2009, Adam got a call from his mother. She said, I need your help in Orange City. At the time, I imagine that Adam had no idea that this trip to Orange City would come back to haunt him. Subscribe to Cast Plus to listen ad-free with bonus episodes at castmedia.com slash cast plus. You can follow, rate, and review The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference, so thank you.
1: Everybody in your
6: crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun— Yeah, you get it every time.
5: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
0: Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day,
2: In January of 2009, Adam Smith did not have a car, and he needed to meet his mother, Kim, in Orange City. So he asked his friend Cody to drive him. Crystal came, too, along with their kids. Kim had booked them a room at the motel right next door to Arthur. And Adam said that he and Cody were tasked with moving Arthur around.
4: And me and Cody walked to the room, and... He's kind of like on the bed, but kind of off the bed, and he looks real sad. He's just laying there and he's kind of talking, but he can't he can't move himself at all. I mean, Cody had to help pick him up and put him up onto the bed,
2: according to Adam, Arthur looked really sick that day in the motel room in Orange City. Crystal said the same thing. He looked sick, like he couldn't move himself. She also estimated that Arthur weighed around three hundred pounds at the time. Adam described how he and his friend Cody. Using Arthur's wheelchair would help get him from the bed to the shower and back
4: again. She's spraying him off, washing him down. A couple minutes goes by. We help put him there, wheel him around, back over to the bed, put clothes on him, put him back in the bed. She says, all right, and it was already getting late. It was already getting to be dark. Or it, may, it may have, might have already been dark. I'm not sure. She's like, all right, guys, if uh, just go over to the room if I need something. I'll call you. I was like, all right.
2: It was clear why Kim asked her son Adam to come help her. Arthur could no longer move himself around, and Kim wasn't strong enough to move him on her own. But Adam said he didn't know why Arthur and Kim were there in the first place. Why had she brought him to a motel in Orange City? There was a hospital next door. But after looking at hospital records, it was clear that Arthur was never checked into that hospital. Detectives decided to go talk with Adam's friend, the one who was also there in the hotel room, Cody Cantu. Cody Cantu and Adam Smith had been friends since high school. In 2009, Cody signed up to join the military and was scheduled to ship out to boot camp in late April after getting married to his wife, Melinda, who was also in the interview with him. Cody was trying to save money, and he said that in January of 2009, Adam offered to let him move in with him for a few weeks, rent-free.
7: So I was stressing out about how I was gonna pay my rent. And so he said, hey, don't worry about rent, just come live with me you know." until you go in the military. And you said Crystal was there too? Yes, sir, she was.
2: Less than a week after Cody moved in, he drove to Orange City with Adam. According to Cody, Adam said he needed to go help his mom, Kimberly, with a sick elderly man she was taking care of. And Cody said he just offered to come along.
6: And what prompted you to go out to help in Orange City?
7: Well, because he wasn't going to charge me rent at all. He had, we had, he had already established that. He wasn't going to charge me any rent to stay with him. And that's a big deal to me. That's a, it was really a commendable thing for him to do. So I decided I, was, I decided that I owed Adam, you know, to come help him. I owed it to him.
2: Cody also told the detectives that it was his and Adam's job to move Arthur to and from the bathroom using the wheelchair. He said Arthur looked weak and sick and appeared to not be able to move himself around. And the detective asked Cody, did you ever hear him speak while you were there? And this is what Cody said.
7: Uh, no, yes, he, he attempted to. He attempted to speak. Very hard. He, he seemed very incoherent, sedated. That's even a better word. Yes.
2: According to Cody, Arthur seemed incoherent, possibly even sedated. He went on to say that he did see pills in the motel room, and he did see Kim administer pills to Arthur, but he didn't remember what the pills were. The detectives seem to be circling around this theory that maybe Kim was drugging Arthur. But also, Arthur had a number of prescription drugs that he was taking, so it's not entirely clear. Cody said that he was in Orange City for about three days. He and Adam spent most of their time watching TV in their room until Kim would call them over to come help move Arthur. Cody said that it wasn't a pleasant job. Often Arthur smelled bad and he didn't seem to have control of his bowels. And then one day he said Kim came over to their room and told them that it was time to say goodbye. Arthur was dying.
7: She knocked on the door, you know, she came over She said, hey, you guys might want to come next door and say goodbye to him because he's fading fast. I think he's, he's about to go now. And we said, that's horrible. So then we went over there and, uh, you know, I gave him a hug and said, you know, a couple nice things. Uh, and, and then Adam, you know, gave him a hug and said a couple nice things to him. He wasn't very responsive, though, when we were speaking to him. He was, I don't even know if he was breathing at all. He, and, and at that point in time, the smell had gotten much worse. I mean, it was, was he unconscious? I could, his eyes were open, but I couldn't even, I couldn't even tell if he was breathing. If he was breathing, it was very shallow, because I, I don't remember seeing his chest rise or fall. He was notice, unresponsive when I gave him a hug.
2: Cody and Adam left the motel room, and then five minutes later, Kim came outside and told them Arthur was dead. She said she called an ambulance. It was on the way, and that Adam and Cody should pack up and drive home. Of course, Cody never saw the ambulance. According to Cody, Kim also told him that she had called Arthur's ex-wife to inform her that Arthur had died, but when I spoke with Robin, she said that her mother Alice was never informed that Arthur had died until over a year later when his remains were discovered in a trash can. So the only people present, you, Adam, Crystal,
7: the little boy, Kimberly. Yes, sir. That's it. Yes, sir. So when you leave there, you, Kimberly's there alone with... Or? Yes, sir. And the only person left there along with him was, was, was Kimberly. And, uh, the, you know, according to her, the the ambulance, uh, uh, We're on our way.
6: To use the word uh, called the ambulance.
7: Yes, the word ambulance. Okay. And I remember because Adam said, uh, well, don't you need to stick around because he was a big man, you know. And uh, she said, no, uh, they're bringing guys.
2: Why they were there at this motel room in Orange City never really becomes clear. Kim told investigators that she chose this motel because it was close to the hospital. But again, there's no record of them ever going to the hospital or calling the hospital. And when Cody was asked about it, he said they never took Arthur to the hospital and he never saw any hospital personnel visit them at the motel. He also said he thought it was unlikely that Adam or Kim could have taken Arthur to the hospital without his knowledge because they needed his help to move Arthur. So they were in Orange City for about three days. They were told that Arthur had died and then they drove back to South Daytona, leaving Kim alone at the motel with Arthur's body. And parked outside was the van with the wheelchair ramp. Cody said something else that is interesting. He said that when he was in Orange City, before Arthur died, Arthur gave both Cody and Adam gifts.
7: And she said, hey, he's you know, he wants to give you something. He wants to come here. So we went in there and he had this little black bag and he himself was holding it up. His hand was shaking a little bit. And she said, he wants you to have this. And we opened the bag, and there's a, a ring in it and a bracelet in it.
2: Cody said that they tried to refuse the gifts, but eventually they accepted them. Adam wore the ring, and Cody wore the bracelet. And Cody said that it was the jewelry that ended up causing a rift between him and Adam.
7: A couple of days after we left the, uh, the hotel, it was like maybe not even three days later, he, he, he uh, pawned his, his ring.
2: Cody didn't know which pawn shop Adam had taken the ring to or what he did with the money. But a few days later, Adam approached Cody. He wanted to pawn the bracelet as well.
7: I'm going to need you to, to pawn the bracelet. You can keep half of it if you want. I said, wait, 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 I'm not, I'm not pawning the bracelet. He said, man, I need you to. You know, I haven't asked anything out of you. They started pulling the guilt card on me. He said, well, I haven't asked you for any rent or anything. Come on. I need bills. I have bills to pay. You know, I and I said, that, that ain't right, man. You know, uh, th- this is, I know it kind of sounds cheesy, but this guy just gave this to me. And you know, it's kind of sentimental a little bit. You know, I just helped this guy, watch, you know, Boston practically take his last breath. I mean, I don't want to get rid of it, man. That's, that's, that's tacky. That's tasteless. You know, Pawn stuff, right? You know, he said, well, look, I have bills to pay. I need it. So we started yelling at each other. We got in a big fight about it. Finally, I took it off. I said, fine here. Pawn it, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, I gave it to him.
2: Cody told the detectives that Adam ended up asking Cody to pawn the bracelet. Adam didn't have his ID. And so Cody did. He remembers getting about $400 for the bracelet, which he then gave to Adam. And shortly after that, Cody moved out, Something didn't sit right with him about pawning a bracelet that a dying man had given him. And he said this wasn't the only time that he witnessed Adam and his wife, Crystal, pawning items. A few months later, Adam pawned a golden pendant and got about $900 for it. Cody wasn't sure where the pendant came from. But it was clear to him that Adam had come into some kind of money. He witnessed Adam buying a brand new PlayStation from the mall, and then a few months later, he noticed that both Adam and Crystal had costly dental work done. Cody joined the Army and distanced himself from Adam. But then he got a call from Adam out of the blue over a year later in early September 2010. He
7: calls and he says, hey man, I have some bad news. I said, what's going on? He said, remember that guy, Arthur, that, we were, you know, that you helped me take care of, that we helped my mom take care of? I said, yeah, I remember. He goes, dog. They found a body in my mother's front yard. I said, what? Are you kidding me? And then he committed to tell me how they, he said, yeah, they think I'm involved. There's a question going off on it, you know, about, you know, how they think that he's involved. And I said, it's horrible, you know, try to console him the best I could. Not much I could say for him.
2: But Cody said the real reason that Adam called him that day was to ask for money. Cody refused to give him any money.
7: You know, I hate to say this. I really do. Because I've been for a long time. I hate to say this. I'm going to say it. The reason I didn't give him any money is because I felt like he was going to use it on drugs. So I hate to say it. it's horrible. I feel bad about saying it, but it's
2: the truth. Cody knew that Adam didn't have a mortgage and he wasn't paying rent. He had a prepaid cell phone and no bills to speak of. He did have two small kids, but Cody believed that both Adam and his wife, Crystal, would probably just use the money on drugs. He said this was the last time he heard from Adam until the police came to interview him. Cody also said that the day that Arthur died, Kimberly called them up after they had already left Orange City and asked them to drive back there, back to Orange City, so that she could take them out to dinner. And when the bill came, Kim paid for it using Arthur's credit card, Cody knows this because he said Kim announced it at the table.
7: can't remember exactly what Kim had announced. Something along the lines of, you guys, you know, uh, we need to toast Arthur because he's the one paying for dinner tonight or something like that.
2: Cody also said during the interview that Kim had used Arthur's money to pay for the motel rooms in Orange City. Looking at photos of Twin Oaks Mobile Home Park, it's hard to imagine how someone could actually get away with burying bodies there without being seen. I asked Detective McCracken about this.
1: It's not a thick patch of woods. There is a small wooded area. But in a place that's that quiet, and especially at night, nobody's in the businesses. The businesses are closed. Most of the neighbors are in their house for the night. At the right time of the night, in the dark, it would be very easy for somebody to miss it. Um, There's nowhere along that section where headlights would hit them if they drove by, um, because it was parallel to the road.
2: So, as far as the detectives know, Arthur Sheldon died in January of 2009 in a motel in Orange City, Florida. His medical records show that the last time he saw a doctor was on January 5th, 2009, and then he missed the following two doctor's appointments. Of Arthur's many prescriptions, the only ones that continued to get refilled and picked up after January 5th were the pain meds that he was on. Those continued to get picked up for several more months until his doctor refused to offer more refills without seeing Arthur again in person, which never happened because Arthur was most likely dead by then. When detectives pressed Kim for answers, they didn't get anything useful.
6: Is someone else responsible for Arthur's death? Is someone else responsible for Goldie's death? Is someone else responsible for throwing them in the woods like garbage? Who's responsible for all of that? Who's responsible for all of Please, 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 please. right now. Timely, that's a question that we need an answer to. I know you do. You will get your answer, obviously. But we need that answer.
2: Detectives' interviews with Kim, Adam, Crystal, and David start to feel like a merry-go-round. They go round and round and round, but they never actually go anywhere. You can start to hear the desperation in the detective's voice. They clearly don't have enough physical evidence to be sure of a homicide charge at this point, but they are persistent. They go back to interview Adam again.
3: We've got two people your mother care for. We understand her criminal history. We understand her background. I don't think there's much doubt as to what was going on with the financials. Our issue is, how did the two bodies get there? How did they die? And I've kept myself out of trouble every time she's done things like this. She never pushed
4: to this limit and took someone's life or was involved in No body's ever been found. Let's just put it that way. And I'm
3: not certain she took anyone's life at this point. But I can tell you this.
4: She was the last person. She but, was in care of them. They are buried or discarded in her yard, however you want to say it, regardless. And, I,
3: and I'm convinced she played a major role in that. The question I have is who assisted her because she didn't do it by herself. She couldn't just simply because of the weight of the victims.
2: Adam continued to insist that before the bodies were found at Twin Oaks, he had believed that Arthur died a natural death and was cremated, and that Goldie was still alive on her honeymoon. But was he telling the truth? He was benefiting from his mother's actions. For one thing, he was getting pain pills from her for free. He was also receiving kickbacks like the jewelry he pawned, $1,500 from the sale of Goldie's car, And credit cards to freely use for gas and spending money. You know, I can't stop thinking about this phone call that he had with his mother. It was August of 2010. This was before Arthur or Goldie's bodies were found, but after police started investigating Goldie's disappearance. And Adam was clearly worried about what to tell the cops about why he was living in Goldie's house, and so he called his mom.
4: Vacation. She won't be back. No, she's not really on vacation. She got married. She left her, me. Her husband. Yeah, she, married me. she got married and went on a vacation with her husband. They won't be back till December. There's snowbirds birds now. Yeah. Anyway, you know, and he, she left me the rent enough rent until oh, she's coming back on December 12th. She wants me to keep fixing up the house and to watch over it. That's exactly. all I'm doing. On That's what I'm there. doing. Tell me you just talked to Miss Goldie the other day and Miss Goldie did try to call them, but they were out of town.
2: And then this happens. I have to say, Kim is really careful most of the time to avoid saying anything incriminating on these phone calls, but at one point she just flat out drops the act.
4: I didn't want Goldie just showing up, being like, "Oh no, this is all bullshit." No, no, no! You've got a written paper from Goldie, babe. You've got a, a, a title. I got a, I got a Goldie title. not coming back, Adam. I didn't think so.
2: There it is. She said, "Goldie is not coming back, Adam." This was when Kim was still telling people that Goldie was on an extended honeymoon and that she would be back in December. But obviously she knew and then told Adam that Goldie was never coming back. But here's the thing, Arthur Sheldon's body was found 19 months after he supposedly died and about 30 miles away in a trash bin at the Twin Oaks mobile home park. So how did he get there and when? Kimberly and David didn't even move into Twin Oaks until March of 2009. That's two months after Arthur died. Here's Nicole Luca again.
5: The investigators then told us that she was actually mo- moving them, which this is very gruesome, but um, quite often, a point there was a point where the investigators thought she was driving around with one of them in her trunk. Um, she had a storage unit that um, they investigated some of the people who worked there, and they she got a complaint that it smelled like there was something dying in there, and so the police were just assuming this is all connected. And in that case, it just was. It was like she couldn't have done this all by herself. If you know, it just seemed to to us like someone else would would have been involved.
2: There is no definitive evidence to show exactly how Arthur Sheldon's body got to Twin Oaks and when. There are theories that Kim drove around with the corpse in her car. There's also a theory that she stored his body in a moving pod. And it is true that when she and David moved their trailer to Twin Oaks in March of 2009, they rented two pods. And one of the pods, was emitting a foul smell. Multiple people, including neighbors, commented on it. There's even a recording of Kim calling the pod company about it.
6: Thank you for calling pods. This is Beverly. How can I help you? Hi, Beverly. How are you? This is Mrs. Sheldon. Um, someone called me from there. Okay.
2: Notice that Kim introduces herself as Mrs. Sheldon on the call. But anyway, when I got home Friday night, I went to open
6: up the stupid thing and... There was some kind of, I don't know if it was a rat or a mouse or something other had crawled. I still had four boxes in there, uh-huh. in the very back. And I guess he got trapped in there because oh. it, it stuck to high heaven.
2: Ultimately, there was a search warrant for that specific pod, and there were samples taken. But the tests for human remains came back negative. Keep in mind, this would have been about a year after Arthur's body would have been held in that pod, if that's where they were keeping him. Detectives asked Kim about her calls to the Pod Company.
6: Why would you, why would you be calling the Pod people, claiming to be Mrs. Sheldon, Arthur Sheldon's wife, and paying for the Pods with Arthur? Because Arthur and I were going to get married. That's fine. Okay, so you and Arthur were going to get married. Yep. So, if Arthur meant so much to you, why can't you tell me when he died? Kimberly, it's not a hard question to answer. I know it's not.
2: It's likely that Arthur Sheldon died in that motel in January of 2009. But we know that Kim could not move Arthur by herself. So who helped her? Somehow, Arthur's body was transferred from Orange City to the lot beside Kim and David's trailer at Twin Oaks Mobile Home Park. And as time went on, no one reported Arthur missing or deceased. And maybe, just maybe, it felt like Kim would get away with it. And that is when she met her neighbor across the way, a sweet and sassy lady named Goldie Robinson. This season of The Opportunist was produced by me, Hannah Smith, along with Natalie Gregory and Sarah Dalgleish. Colin Thompson is our executive producer, editor, and music editor. Matt Sewell mixes and masters the show. Our cover art is by Joel Hassmeyer. Thank you to Stel Klein for the tape sync. You can email us at opportunist at castmedia.com. That's cast with a K. And we have merch for sale at theopportunistpodcast.com.